1: Dealing, I'm just dealing with a desperate cold. I mean, it is, I'm sure, I mean, I'm, I sound whiny, but I mean, I'm, and I know that there are plenty of places in the world much colder than uh, where we are, but man, it has been colder this winter than I ever remember it being um, while I've lived here.
0: You mean a cold like you're just cold or you have a cold?
1: No, as in it is f- freezing. <laughs> oh. Does your house get really cold? Um usually it doesn't. Um but I feel like this year it's just been generally a heck of a lot colder than I remember it being in California.
0: Well, especially this time of the year. I mean, we're for all the people in places that freeze, just ignore this conversation.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're a bunch of pansies, I get it.
0: It's been in the low 50s and usually I mean, I, I, as far as I remember, we were always in the 60s about this yeah. time of year. Yeah. And that ten ten degrees does make a difference, especially in like I go for a walk with the dog every day. I'm like, oh, I don't want to walk right now. <laughs> Absolutely. I guess we should move somewhere more hardcore and then come back and be grateful, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. Hmm.
0: Well, buckle in for a wild ride because I want to make sure that we hit a bunch of stuff on your list and I have a full list too. So uh,
1: Well,
0: Let's... there's
1: there's a there's a weird irony there. Um but yeah, carry on. What's the weird irony? You can't say that and just not it's say that, anything. It's that this is the first week that I have completely abandoned doing a list.
0: <laughs> After you said bitch. last week, you're like, I'm going to hit all the stuff on my list next
1: week. Well, but then I also kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, if we're not hitting the list, then that means that the conversation kind of goes its own natural way without us needing the list. So why the heck even bother? You know what I mean?
0: Well, you know, like the list is kind of natural for me. What I tried to do, what I'm actually... This this plays in really well. So actually, we'll get back to that. I'm going to talk about that more. But I think a good place for us to start so that we can talk about that is how has not having social media been on your phone?
1: Or how is not having social media on your phone been? Let me get that sentence correct. So I've been doing your thing. Um, I, I actually have been using a notebook, actually. So I, I didn't want to do it on my phone or a computer. I've been writing um, my reactions to the feelings, and they, they've taken such weird—they've taken such weird forms. Like I had a few drawings in there. <laughs> I'll probably post a few actually. Um, Are there any of the on, words that you want to share on on my social media? Um, let's see this is, that's ironic right on your social yeah, media yeah on my social media let me see there's you can share them this, on the website or on your website yeah that's true i'll probably just end up taking snapshots and putting them up there like you've been doing with the uh, typewritten pages that would be uh, a really fascinating blog actually of <laughs> the whole experience the anti-social media um, yeah. so on friday let's see i have a couple of entries here um at ten forty-five a.m Um, I have panicked, don't know what to do. Feel like (laughs) I need to check in on what is this word? Business (laughs) accounts, business accounts, but I'm nowhere near my laptop, so I don't have that option. Um, I guess the world's just going to have to wait.
0: Yeah, it's a Um, weird feeling, isn't it?
1: God, that's, that's the weirdest thing is to, to put a schedule on. I don't realize how often I look at that stuff on my phone until I stop looking at it.
0: <laughs> it's horrifying. We'll we'll get into my screen time stuff later. But just looking at the screen time for people who don't know, Apple has a thing built in now called screen time where you can see how many times you pick up your phone, how many times you've been using your phone throughout the day. Um, it's, it's horrifying, especially when you look at things. You're like, I only looked at that for like five minutes today. No, hour and a half. Anyways, continue, please.
1: Um, let's see. So there's a little bit more of that. Um, I uh, Let's see. I actually wrote my feelings on the first time I looked at social media too, um, on my computer. This is at 5.20 p.m. on that same Friday. And all I read is, phew, um, <laughs> I, I, got I, my feel, fix. I feel attached to the world again, um, is what I wrote. And then I wrote, that is... Pathetic. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm attached to absolutely nothing because there is no connection that has been made through me doing what I'm doing. Right. Uh, Let's see. 945. um, Made a phone call to see if that would replace the feeling of FOMO, which is uh, fear of missing out. Right. Um, And it actually... That 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 leads into a whole different conversation. Um, yeah,
0: I want to get. I want to talk about that too. So let me let me add that to the list here. Yeah, um, because
1: that's something that came up for me as well. So continue. Um, and yes, that conversation actually made me feel. I, I probably felt more connected in that one phone call than I felt um in the entire week's worth of social media leading up until up till us recording that episode um you know i felt i had like an hour long conversation with someone for the first time that wasn't work related and it was really damn liberating <laughs> well
0: it's, it's um it fits into this whole thing that we've been talking about this idea of a fake conversation right we've we've convinced ourselves that we're in a conversation by being on social media but when you actually step outside of it you realize yeah, you miss it because there's an addiction quality and there's all this stuff but then you start doing other things and you go, "Oh, this this is a real
1: conversation." Yeah, and it's funny because you realize how much how much you how how many assumptions you make about people's lives by what you see on their social media, you know, the bullet points that have become um what you see their daily lives as and how completely inaccurate that is or how totally incomplete it is.
0: I, found, um, I haven't done it yet, but I've been thinking about the idea. Um, I actually didn't write down a note to connect this. But um, I, at one point in reading, I think it's a digital minimalism, which I'll talk about later. I had um, There's an idea in the book where he's talking about this guy who does what's called office hours, where he'll say, um, every day at 5 o'clock or every day at 530, I think it is, I'm available for phone calls. And this is for friends and family so you don't need to schedule a call with me or whatever if you want to talk to me call me at 5:30 and we'll talk and that's like his drive home so and that's how he started communicating with people and i was listening to that and i'm like maybe i need to invest in phone calls more you know cuz you can't always meet people but you know there are people that i text message every once in a while you know like you know, my friend john in washington or whatever where i'd probably rather have a phone conversation and i just didn't realize that that's what i would rather
1: have sure and and you and and not only that, but you, once you start tangibly doing it, like if you actually start having those conversations, you'll you, you kind of get addicted to them. Not really addicted to them. You just you find yourself being much more interested in what people are actually doing. Um, you want to know the full story versus the snapshot, which makes you feel satisfied in the moment. It's like that placebo effect um, right. for social contact through social media.
0: Yeah, it's like it's like you're hungry. You could either eat a meal, or you can just you know. Throw a piece of candy in your mouth.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, the, the candy's not gonna fill you, but it will make you forget until you need another piece of candy.
1: Yeah, and and now you're twenty pieces of candy deep and it's two hours later and you're still not full. Yeah, and you're fat. <laughs> <laughs> and you feel like shit and your teeth are rotting,
0: sure. Um, so any other revelations other than phone calls through through the process?
1: Um, I extended it's I then went on a completely different tangent. Um let's see, Saturday. Yeah, Saturday's not really that interesting. More of the pan- same panic feeling. It doesn't really get interesting until Monday. Yeah, it takes um, a few
0: days to get it out of your system almost. Yeah, it's
1: really weird. That is, that is actually an interesting phenomenon. It really did take me a couple of days before I really adjusted. And then I, I had this thought in my head at like, a, let's see, 11.05 on Monday. I'm like, let's invite someone to lunch. <laughs> Um, and then I invited uh, my my old friend out to lunch. I hadn't seen him in like four years, and it was really nice. Um, and then I decided to go to a coffee shop. That is, so for anyone who doesn't know, I used to be part owner of Barefoot Coffee here in the Bay Area way back in the day. Like, I mean, I'm talking you know early 2000s kind of thing. And I decided to actually go there <laughs> hmm. and. And go talk to people and, and see what the place was all about now and to see the pieces of furniture that I helped build out of old Redwood pieces um, from a bridge in Redwood City. And it it both brought me back to the present in a very weird way, as well as reminded me of my path to get to that present. It was really, really cool. And I don't think either of those things would have happened if I hadn't let go of the social media and if I hadn't made that choice to like go and have lunch.
0: So would it be a fair assumption not that we're done with this topic, but would it be a fair assumption to say that in at least in the first week, that stepping away from social media forced you to actually connect with people?
1: Yeah, it, it totally did. Um and it not only the, the the weird effect that I didn't expect was that it forced me to reconnect with parts of myself that I got lost in social media.
0: Yeah, there's a weird phenomenon that I don't think we've ever talked about this aspect of it. But there's a certain maybe it's because of the um, the lack of depth that social media provides that we continue to like gloss over certain parts of ourselves um, because we're focusing on other parts because there no matter what there's always a performative aspect to social media right sure. um, even when we think we're being an honest and pure um, with what we're posting we've already trained ourselves to understand that uh, I have to present it in this way to get the likes that I need. Um, like, for example, there was... Um, a, I can't remember what it's from, but there was some girl saying, I like to do things real. You know, when I cry, I put up a picture of myself crying. And the person that was she was talking to, I think it was someone giving a speech, was like, you realize that you're performing though, right? Because you're sharing it and you're going, I'm choosing to show you this. And I just i thought that that idea of that performance that is maybe that's what makes us gloss over those parts of ourselves i don't know how do you feel about that
1: well yeah sure absolutely there's that you know like there's there's it's the observe, it's the observing thing right like once you observe a creature in its natural environment and you know it's and the creature Mm -hmm. knows it's being observed then its behavior changes you know and even if it's even if its behavior doesn't overtly change or obviously change it's 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 thought process surrounding that behavior changes you know And I think we as social creatures can't can't not do it. Um, The
0: Back to Work guys are big fans of this. That's why I know a lot about it. They recently changed their model. So Smile originally had text expander. As you purchase the app, you use the app forever. You know whatever they call legacy, I guess. Um, Now they they just changed to the subscription model, which is like it's like. For something a month uh sure and people freaked out and it's it's kind of ridiculous and silly but you know whatever people are going to freak out about anything and everything which actually transitions us to a topic that is worth mentioning as well the instagram rebrand and people freaking out about a rainbow icon
1: yeah i think it's so inconsequential i mean don't get me wrong the the interface changes are are more consequential to me they're you know, for a guy who uses um, Instagram for quite a few different purposes, uh, very few of which are personal, um, having a consistent interface is kind of nice. Um, and especially from my perspective, um, I felt like the things that changed didn't need to change. Um, well, for, for the first thing that was a little frustrating to me was how messages worked or comments worked within. Um, the 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 messaging feature not the messaging in the comment section if you tagged another person's name it now defaults you to sending them the person a personal message or sending them the the image itself um in a direct message versus just tagging them directly in the post um and that doesn't seem like a big deal but it's an extra two clicks for me on my phone whenever it is that i want to share a post with someone or tag someone in a post and that's that's kind of annoying that's that's one of you know, a couple of different features that are, are different from what I'm used to when it comes to how Instagram's interface allows me to communicate with other people within the scope of a post. So, I mean, I don't care about the icon. Um, the notifications are, are a little more bubbly and happy. So, I guess for, for pure visibility's sake, it makes it easier to, to see the notifications on your phone or separate them from other notifications. But overall, I don't really care. I
0: kind of, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I kind of dig it. Like, it's it stands out. There's not. A, I mean, I have so many green and white and blue apps on my phone. I mean, like it seems like everybody has got to make an icon that color. So to have a crazy different yeah. icon, sweet, it's in a folder. I, you know, I have it hidden in a folder. I look. I'm like, there's Instagram. I can spot it mm-hmm. while it's mm-hmm. tiny in the folder. I'm cool with that. But in the long run, even if I didn't like it, I don't care.
1: Yeah, it's it's a it, minor point. It doesn't change functionality at all, and it doesn't ultimately affect. Um, how, how the, the, the UX is. So I don't, I don't really, I don't really care one way or the other.
0: (laughs) And you know me, I don't really care about Instagram in general anyhow.
1: (laughs) Sure, sure, sure. That's true.
0: I use it. I use it as a photo poster. That's it. It's not a social, it's not a social media to me. It's a tool.
1: Yeah. And I can't, I can't remember the, yeah, I can't remember the last time I really took Instagram seriously as a, a form of communication among friends. Like I might post on my personal Instagram once a week at best now, you know what I mean? versus how I use it for business uh, where I, I have schedules and I'm using Hootsuite and all that kind of stuff. So Instagram's interface is almost irrelevant to me at this point.
0: Yeah, it's just, I don't know. Most of this stuff is irrelevant to me in the long run. It's like I one one dies, one changes, whatever. You know, yeah. it's the, that market, it's going to, you know, something croaks, another thing will pop up. It doesn't matter. We're just going to spend our lives jumping from apps to apps. People are looking for like these they're looking at this stuff the wrong way. They're thinking, you know, like, oh, this is going to be with us forever. No, it's not.
1: No. There's exactly. no way. I mean, even even Facebook is not going to be with us forever, um, or at least Facebook in its current form.
0: And they have um, the biggest you know, I, chance.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, to be honest with you, I, I have a feeling that, that Facebook's staying power will still be pretty good going into the next decade but i think it's 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 a limited clunky interface and i think ultimately it's going to evolve some other companies going to evolve a better version of social networking that we'll all latch onto you know what i mean that's it's it's the nature of this this kind of technological environment um there's almost there's almost no true mainstays other than hardware and even the hardware um, has a tendency to evolve past a, a certain a certain obsolescence um, and then we adopt the next thing as as what we consider to be um, you know everyday technology
0: I think part of my thing too is like social media to me was always a thing to share, but it was never a thing to communicate to me. I I don't, I think that's the problem I've always had with Facebook. Is like when you post something, all of a sudden people have opinions on it and I I don't have problems with people's opinions, but it's, it's not necessarily that that's what I'm, I'm not trying to open a dialogue every time that I share something. Sometimes I'm just like, this is cool. And you might like looking at it. And and that's it. And it's, yeah. It, and that maybe was a, a kind of a jerk way to say that. And I didn't mean it like that, but I mean, from the business standpoint, not from the way people use it, because people are going to use it the way that these businesses set it up, mm-hmm. you know, you know, regardless, but the way that they set these things up is they want us to believe that they're, they're bringing us together. They're not bringing us together. They're allowing us to share things. That's it.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and, to that end, you know, like for example, going back to your Instagram thing about how it wants you to directly message now, because it's trying to become a messaging app in some in some sense, right? That's why it's doing. Sure. It. They they want mm-hmm. that because when you direct message a post to somebody, you they're they're all jumping on the Snapchat thing. It's like, sure. why why does Snapchat work? Why is why is Snapchat successful? Oh, because when you send something to someone, they have to look at it. If they look at it, they saw it. You know, whereas whereas everything in Facebook is passive. It has a more active manner. So by forcing people to or not forcing, but trying to steer people into direct message, they're trying to grab a little bit of that magic.
1: Yeah, and there's definitely a forced interaction there too. And I think that you know, it's funny because because when when I I, I was pretty critical of Snapchat when they turned down the multi-billion dollar deal. Um, to purchase them way back in the day. And now I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm now finding myself going back on that. You know, maybe it was a very smart decision for them to hold on to um, their interface and their functionality. And I, I mean, don't get me wrong, though. I don't know how much of it is, is just incredibly intuitive foresight and just dumb luck when it comes to the, the, the business world. But I definitely do think that they did make a right choice now by holding on and not selling at the time in which they were offered the deal that they were offered. So it's an, it's interesting though it's, it's 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 I'm curious just as to to what the landscape is going to look like now now that they're they they've gained such a strong and rabid user base. Yeah, so we'll it's, see.
0: It's an interesting. It'll be interesting to see how they end up monetizing because other than within direct messages, there's not really a way to link to other things. So you're not going to be sending mm-hmm. people the products. Um, and I understand like it's a content creation thing. It's very much in a way it's like YouTube in the sense of you know like you're viewing this but at the same time even among YouTube users there is a, ne- a necessity for notes within and, and links within the description. So video doesn't always fill that that gap 100%. So how they're going to monetize that will be an interesting thing. They're getting some very interesting deals. They're making some very interesting influential influential choices, I think they're they're changing the landscape a lot. But they they might run into the Twitter problem of where's the money coming from?
1: Sure, and it's it's interesting too, like in in describing you know because that was one of the first thought experiments that popped in my brain when Snapchat was starting to roll back um, into its prominence was, you know, how are businesses going to use this in order to 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 monetize? And I think that the the only place I've seen it used really really well is. Um, um, you know, with companies allowing certain people to take over their Snapchat channels. Uh, for example, there you know there are golf companies in the golf world that allow certain golf pros to just basically take control of their Snapchat for a day. So you get to see a much more personal view of their lives. it's It's actually a pretty interesting way to 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 define your brand and to show off the 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 the, the people you endorse. you know it's it's pretty cool actually. so you know for 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 me, it was really interesting to see how certain Golfers um, went about their days when it came to tournaments or, or preparation or whatever it was. So for me, that was actually a really interesting, really interesting glimpse into not only the, the business itself but the people who who support that business. So it's it's I actually find it to be a, 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 a I, I actually don't think monetization will be that difficult. In a lot of senses, I feel like it's going to be a very strong loss leader with very very little downside and a lot of upside.
0: I think there's a an inherent intimacy to Snapchat that um i mean like even the first time like i i pulled that app and i'm like oh i don't i don't know if i want to you know this is way before i started vlogging but i was like i don't know if i want to talk to the camera and and there's an in there's an intimate thing there and leveraged correctly it's very powerful i just can't i can figure out how brands are going to make money off of it i just <laughs> don't know how snapchat's going to make money off of the brands um sure you know like i think that uh, i'm I'm sure somebody's doing it, but like, you know, fashion shows and stuff like that on Snapchat, amazing idea.
1: Yeah, it's um, a great idea.
0: Imagine the stuff, you know, like anything product-based that's on Snapchat, if, they, if somebody's doing it right, it can be magic. I've heard the Taco Bell Snapchat is amazing.
1: Yeah, it's really funny, actually.
0: <laughs> and, and that's, uh, I think that there, that was the big surprise to me about Snapchat was, you know, Snapchat, it was like a little kid thing. You know, like, oh, you make the funny face or whatever. But somehow it tapped into something in all of us that was like, yeah, I kind of like being silly. I kind of like making myself into a unicorn that pukes a rainbow. And for brands to step out of, you know, the stuffiness and and do stuff where they're just like drawing sloppily on the screen and, and stuff like that, that is opening them up to us in a way that they've never opened up to us before. And there's a the magic to that.
1: Yeah. And I think the, the, I think it, it's, it's this movement towards what I'm starting to see a lot in the advertising world. Cause I still do work a little bit in that world too, as well, is that a lot of the the design firms um, and ad agencies are getting younger. And I think because of that there, you know, if we, if we look at Facebook and even if we look at Instagram to a certain extent, that they, they, there's a certain sense now that they take themselves a little too seriously. Um, and you know, I think, I think looking at the, the memorable ad campaigns over the last, you know, two decades, like we think about, um, you know, the, the Jack, the Jack, uh, campaign with Jack in the box, you know, what, uh, what also pops to mind in my head is the, the old spice commercials with <laughs> the myriad of just insanity that, that, that they've gone through with their, their ad campaigns. And even lately I, one of the ones that, that caught my eye was, um, I believe it's Northern, the toilet paper company. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were making fun of hipsters. Um, and so what they did was they were, they released a, a bunch, this commercial that was really long, actually, that was talking about artisan toilet paper. Um, <laughs> and, and they were doing things like original birch and like unfinished. And it was really, really funny. It was hilarious. And it showed this, you know, bearded guy with the slicked back hair, like your, your typical hipster, like, you know, just carving away at this piece of piece of redwood. <laughs> it's really funny. Um, And it showed this woman, you know, who had just used the toilet paper and she sits down all gingerly because, you know, it's coarse toilet. It's basically tree bark. Right. And I thought it was really funny. And I thought that it was because how interesting can you possibly make toilet paper? You know what I mean? And at that point, you know what toilet paper does. So there's not really any unique technology that can go into a piece of paper um, that's going to make it revolutionarily different from any other piece of toilet paper you're going to use. So how do you make your brand recognizable? You make something really 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 funny that people will latch onto and share and that's exactly what they did and I thought it was brilliant
0: yeah I think that that's um, that's the advantage of these younger people getting into the advertising field you know the, like you have Gary um his his advertising firm they're just looking at all these like he keeps plugging musically which is like just like a I guess it's like a karaoke app or something I don't know it doesn't really matter. But just like looking for these new avenues, Mm -hmm. it's so refreshing because for so long, advertising was about doing the same thing, doing it the same way, using the same, you know, like getting this down to a science. Now it's about experimentation because, you know what, with the internet, you would think that we would have more analytics. But in reality, the more analytics you get on stuff like this, the less information you have. Sure. And look look at our analytics on on, on this podcast. I can tell you how many downloads we had. I can't tell you how many people listened to it. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how long they listened. I can't tell you what age they are. I can't tell you what sex they are, what country they're in. All I can tell you is downloads. That's it. Yeah. And it's 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 the same with social media. All these other things, you know, like Snapchat. There is no analytics. You just, you know, it's like, did people view this? Yes. And I think that's what people are loving about it is it's just, it's boiled it down to one thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Where
0: it's like, did I get views? Yeah, cool.
1: Yeah, and I think that there's, there, that's funny that you say that because it goes back to one of the very early topics we spoke to on the, or spoke on uh, on the podcast, uh, which is how useless metrics are when it comes to certain social media platforms, like Instagram, for example. Uh, the number of views and the number of likes is the only metric you have. I mean, unless you physically go through and and look at every single like and every single view you have no real clear idea about whether who your cross-section is you just know that it's it's being viewed and i think in a lot of ways that's i'm starting to see that as more and more helpful um i originally thought that it wasn't because i i i i I cared so much about the data but now because i don't focus so much on the individual pieces of data i can just create content that i know will be seen you know
0: right and and the thing about these analytics too is just like how far can you dig into it really to get, you know, like, sure. I, even if I could tell you like YouTube, I can tell you what sex and what age group and all of these other things I can, I can tell you all of that. But what Mm -hmm. I can't tell you is whether people liked it, whether they were paying attention, what about it they connected with, you know, all of those things, those are the most important things. And those are the things you're never going to get without, you know, without interviewing your own audience.
1: Sure. How do you feel? I mean, what, because I, I know with your, your, your blog, the, the views kind of spike and there's, there's an ebb and flow to it. Um, have you found any useful morsels of data that allow you to, to figure out what works and what doesn't?
0: Uh, no, <laughs> what I, what I, what I can tell you is this, this is what I've learned. When some people don't feel like watching, it seems like almost everybody doesn't feel
1: like watching. <laughs> wow, that's weird. That's got to be a timing thing, that's
0: you know. And it's weird. There's a there's a weird phenomena that I've been noticing. It it, it keeps evolving and changing. You know, like I used to people talk about the first uh, twenty four hours of YouTube video is the most important, and it definitely is. There's no doubt about that. But I've noticed that uh, for my vlog in the last maybe two weeks. Mm -hmm. it's expanded to almost 36 hours. I will get, I will look and sometimes I'm like, whoa, I got like no views. And then I just, you know, move on. I'm on the next vlog. And then when I'm going through YouTube to do something else, I'll see everything all grouped together and I'll see that one video that had like no views. And I'm like, whoa, that was the biggest video of the week. All of a sudden it got a ton of views, but it happened way after that initial 24 hours.
1: I think with vlogs, it's a little different. I mean, I think that the viral video thing definitely matters much more within the first 24 to 48 hours. But with vlogs, especially if your your viewership is consistent, I think that people watch it when they can. Like I know with me and your vlog, for example, I, I, I typically end up not watching them on the days that they're published. I usually watch them, um, you know, I, I binge them two or three at a time and I usually do it at, at the beginning or the end of the week. So I know that that at least from that perspective, because the the content, you can expect the content to come out at a certain time. That I have no real sense of urgency to watch it right away. So that actually makes sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, for example, like I'm looking at at my YouTube right now, and I've got five of Casey Neistat's videos in the bank that I haven't watched yet, and two of Wheezy Waiters. So you know, so like I'm I'm doing it myself and. It's true when you're putting out daily content it's hard it's hard to believe that people are going to watch it every day. They yeah. they might watch all of them but they're not necessarily going to watch them every day. Um yeah. I try to because it's really fun to you know check in especially on Casey and and cuz he's inspiring so just to see him once a day it gets me going but obviously I've gone 5 days so <laughs> I'm not pushing too too hard for that. Uh, Speaking of YouTube, uh, that steers us into a topic I wanted to bring up. Um, YouTube is building in a messaging app within... This actually relates to the Instagram thing, too. Mm -hmm. And to me, this makes a huge amount of sense because actually at one point I had tweeted YouTube and said, "Um, is there a way for creators on YouTube to communicate to each other better? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, like you've got your... Especially in the vlog community, you've got your fellow vloggers these are you know these are your as I called it in my video, my YouTube gang and you're you're checking out their stuff, you're helping them, they're helping you, they're checking out your stuff, but sometimes you need to communicate and you don't want to do that in the comments of a video, you know, especially like if you're planning a collaboration or something, but you might not know these people well enough to be like, "Here's my phone number sure so i seeing that they're making a messaging app. I think that's huge, but I, I I still think they need to to work on the way the comments work. It's It's really, really hard to keep up with comments as a YouTube poster unless you go straight up to the internet and you go to the video and scroll down, you know, like, and that's using all the notifications to keep up. It just doesn't work.
1: You know what I'm really curious about? Speaking of messaging, and this is kind of off topic, but, but on topic in a weird kind of way too, is I'm, I'm curious as to which one of the, 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 the viewing platforms, uh, you know, Netflix, HBO, go Amazon prime, which one's going to have a live messaging feature first, um, the reason i'm really curious about that one is can you i think something that's really missing from from a lot of the experiences that we have with tv shows is the ability to sit in the same room with friends and watch something you know what i mean so i actually i'm i'm curious as to whether or not anyone's actually going to try that
0: oh, there was there was some uh, i can't remember what it was called i think it was called glue and then it became something else there was a sort of social media it was it was an earlier time, so it might not have fit into that bubble. Um, but essentially, the you would follow people just like you do on social media. But when you would um, watch a TV show, for example, all you could do on this thing was I'm watching this or I'm reading this, mm-hmm. and then you could talk back and forth with other people who were watching it or reading it at the time. And mm-hmm. it that I think it was ahead of its time. But you're absolutely right. And if I were to put my money on it, I'd put it on Netflix. Netflix is they're the they're the they're the ones who's always ready to go into no man's land first. Everything yeah. everything everybody else has done has followed them.
1: Yeah, but I am still concerned for Netflix. I mean, it, the, Netflix is definitely one of those companies that's very similar to um, Facebook in the sense that we always make the natural assumption that they're always just going to be around. But I'm curious as to how far HBO Go and Amazon Prime are going to give them. A run for their money when it comes to to the the future of 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 you know live or um, of of streaming, uh, just because I mean I know that the war is kind of brewing between everybody and a lot of it has, I, I I'm I'm frustrated. I, I remember one of the notes that I saw of yours, um, which is hilarious because this is all happening real time and I'm watching you move things in Trello. Uh, <laughs> it's it's fascinating. It's one of the things that I actually wanted to talk to you about when I saw the original note, which was you know to this day there is still no. Um, there is still no Amazon app for Apple TV. Um, the Amazon Prime Video app still has no Chromecast support, and I wonder how much of a war is 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 brewing in the background when it comes to how these streaming these streaming companies are ultimately going to, you know, drop the landscape when it comes to the content.
0: Well, I wasn't aware that there was no Chromecast support. That's kind of strange, though. I mean, what what competition is there?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I guess Fire TV. Yeah, no, there, yeah, maybe there's there's no Chromecast support, um, and also, it, which is weird because for for Netflix there is Chromecast support, and YouTube there's also Chromecast support. So I don't know how or why Amazon's um, video team decided not to do that.
0: I think that they're making a lot of mistakes. Like that the the choice not to be on Apple TV for this long is mm-hmm. stupid. I was actually literally just reading something maybe an hour ago. Um, where somebody was saying that they thought that the reason that Apple, I mean that Amazon had chosen not to do an Apple TV app wasn't for the same reason that everybody thought. Everybody thought it was like a you know a a middle a big middle finger to Apple. Um, in reality, what this person was saying, they thought it was about the percentage. Mm-hmm. You know, because Apple would take thirty percent, and looking at Amazon's track record with Apple. I believe that that's probably true because um, if you look at the Kindle app, you can't buy a Kindle book in the Kindle iOS app. You have sure. to sign on to Amazon, buy it, and then go back to your phone or iPad, and now you can now you can read it.
1: Well, I think that what Amazon is gearing themselves up to, and this is a lot of this is a lot of background stuff um, that a lot of people don't really pay attention to, but Amazon is one of the biggest um cloud companies in the world so a lot of the the cloud backbones that a lot of companies operate on are are Amazon uh, Amazon clouds mm-hmm. and i think that there's i think that what amazon is attempting to do is 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 forcing people into their ecosystem before the ecosystem exists and i think that ultimately their goal is to create an ecosystem kind of like apples where it's it's a one-stop shop and and everything that you need to do from a productivity or entertainment perspective can all be done through an amazon cloud and right now i think that they're preparing people for that but i think they're jumping the gun because most of the tools and most of the 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 avenues that you need for entertainment are not quite ready yet you know like even the amazon prime video app for example is not a great app. Um, Netflix, Netflix's interface is definitely better. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what that landscape's going to look like moving forward, but I definitely think that Amazon is trying to create an amalgam of all of these different ecosystems and, and create one kind of end all be all, um, ecosystem that everyone will have to rely on for both productivity as well as for entertainment.
0: And I wonder, I wonder, I mean, there's part of me that initially thinks that that's dumb and then another part of me is like maybe it's smart. But ultimately I think that this idea of forcing people into ecosystems um from a narrow business point of view, it's very mm-hmm. it's very smart. Um for a long term it's very dumb. Uh for example, not having that Amazon app on the Apple TV means I haven't watched a single thing on Amazon Prime since I got the Apple TV. Nothing. Yeah, I- Not one show, nothing.
1: Mm -hmm. And I I rely so much on my Chromecast um, that I will essentially live in, you know, and I have an Amazon Prime account and I paid annually, but I'm kind of regretting that now just because I I don't use Amazon Prime video or or music because neither of them have Chromecast support and I'm using Chromecast so much for my other stuff. You know, I don't want to watch my my Amazon Prime movies on my phone and I I also don't want to open it up in a browser window. And because you can still you can you can actually still just Chromecast from a browser window from right. the Chrome browser itself. Um, but I don't want to go through all that. I mean, I want to watch it on my phone. I control Netflix through my phone and I can Chromecast through my phone. So why why not let me just do that? If you're you know, so that's that to me is is um, a kind of a weird oversight. I'm not sure what Amazon's ultimate strategy is with that. But if they're going to if they're going to force people into an ecosystem, that ecosystem better exist. <laughs>
0: there's a lot of and that's why I think that like some of it is smart business choices and some of it's just bad because there are certain things where I'm like no this is proof that they don't that are not maniacal enough to have a beautiful plan for example sure. like if, like just looking to like okay you want to watch a TV show in Amazon Prime right it pulls up the episodes all a la carte which is just like, if I type in, I go in and I type in, um, I don't know, Firefly, it's not going to just go, here's Firefly the show, and then I click on that and show me all the episodes. It's going to parse out every single episode, and I have to scroll through the interface. This And this is on their own website. Scroll mm-hmm. through the interface, go to the next page, go to the next page, until I find the episode I want. And that's not not good user interface in any way, shape, or form.
1: Yeah, that's bad news.
0: And another thing that baffles me, too, is that YouTube's app on Apple TV. There's no way to like a video. Mm-hmm. That's the core feature of YouTube, is liking videos.
1: Yeah, that's kind of a surprise to me. I'm shocked that they didn't do that. Um,
0: it's not like it would be hard. It's a two-button system. Like, dislike, yeah. that's it.
1: Yeah, it's very, very strange. I, I don't understand how or why that's the case with, with, with YouTube, um, considering how how... And that that has to be an Apple-side thing, not a YouTube thing, because I think the the folks over at YouTube are smarter than that. But but I could be wrong. I I don't know.
0: Here's what I think. I think that they're getting ready to phase out the thumbs up and thumbs down. Uh, The reason I say that is because I know for a fact that they've been focusing their analytics... um, Not their analytics, I'm sorry. They've been focusing their... The the way that you get featured as a YouTuber um, is based on a score. Mm -hmm. And the score used to be based on views and likes. Now it weighs heavily more on watch time and subscriptions. So a channel that has more subscriptions and longer watch time, it's based on percentage, obviously. So like if I have a five-minute video and people only watch 30 seconds, I have a low score. But if I have a five-minute video and 90% of my people watch all five minutes, I have a high score. And that's weighed more heavily than the likes. So I think they're they're moving to a TV uh, to a TV ratings model,
1: which in a sense to me seems a little bit smarter. Um, but I also don't understand how then a, a, a user or a content creator can actually use that to gauge the success. I mean, what metric shows up on the actual video itself, if if not likes or views?
0: Well, anybody that puts up a video, you're you have access to vast analytics. YouTube's yeah. analytics for the creators is vast. I can, I mean, I can go into, here, let me click it right now. And I'll tell you all of the, well, maybe not all of them. I'll tell you a few of the fields that you can see. I mean, I've already mentioned that you can see age, sex, but even the age groups. it's broken into age groups. It gives you a percentage of your audience for that age group. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going so I have the first thing that pops up. This is just more proof for me. I click overview of analytics. The first analytic that pops up it's watch time. Average mm-hmm. view duration is number two. Then comes views, then estimated revenue. Gotcha. So, I mean, when you break down in this, like I can see, I have 77% of my viewers are in the United States. It, it, I can see what browsers are using. The, the Analytics are insane in YouTube, Mm. but it's Google, so don't be surprised.
1: Do you find do you find most of those analytics actually useful?
0: I I don't get caught up in analytics. Um, Mm. I just I feel like like we're going back to what we were saying. It doesn't it doesn't tell you as much as people think it does. You know, like okay, I can say like my number my number one watch time for. What is this? I don't know what the what the time period I'm looking at right here for mm-hmm. the last month. There it is. My la- my my top video is uh, the one about Sarah and Colin's garage sale. Yeah. Now, I <laughs> am I supposed to uh, am I am I supposed to say oh that means people like watching uh, people's yard sales? Maybe. Does that mean that people like Sarah and Colin? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Or could it just be that? joy and Sarah look beautiful in the thumbnail that I put up and people wanted to click on two beautiful girls. That's probably the likely one, but I can't say for hundred <laughs> yes. percent. And that's what I mean. Like I don't get caught up in the analytics because how much time do I have to really sit around and decipher all of that is I just stick to putting, putting stuff up and moving forward.
1: And considering what your vlog is intended for, I'm sure that that that, that's ultimately it's not about that anyway. So that makes sense.
0: It's just it's insane. I mean, these people get too wrapped up in this stuff, and then I think that when you get too wrapped up in in analytics as a creator, Mm -hmm. uh, it sets you up for disappointment because you're going to you're going to find that what you think you're you're interpreting it's going to lead to disappointments because you're putting so much into it. Um, and what you should be focusing on is whether you're making stuff you like.
1: Sure. And I think that's, that's ultimately the thing too, is that you, if you focus too much on analytics, then you end up, you end up starting to, to whether you like it or not, you're going to pander, you know, that's just the nature of that. And I think that that's the, the struggle that I keep trying to, to push through with crystal is that, you know, obviously she's not, she's not inherently a creative person when it comes to marketing or advertising. So she's very much focused on what her audience wants. Um, and I keep telling her that at least on some level, it can't be about what your audience wants. It has to be about what you want. What would you watch? You know, what would you care about seeing if you were, if you're a part of your own demographic when it comes to what you're projecting for your sales, then then you don't have to look any further for yourself to find the answer to those questions. You know, what what video would compel you enough to watch it for a minute and a half and what what content would have to be contained within it to keep your interest and or to prompt you to keep watching content from that creator?
0: And that's that's the thing that's important for people to understand. I was actually literally just in a conversation about this um, with somebody in this Facebook group, and what I was saying is, like, you as a creator, you dictate what people see. Sure. They decide whether they want to watch it or not, but it's your job to lead, not to follow. It's your job to lead, mm-hmm. and who you get to follow you; those are the people that you want, and the people who don't like it. You know, the people like going back to the killing. People who didn't like the killing, well guess what the show wasn't for them, sure, and that's okay, just like Lars von Trier, you know who people who like his movies cool, whoever they are that's for them, and he's not gonna sure. he's not gonna make his next movie more palatable because I hated Antichrist and pyram uh whatever <laughs>
1: <Pyramaniac, this> <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: and 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 that's that's because they're creators. And and that's what you have to decide. Are you a creator or are you a marketer? Yeah. Because a marketer is nothing but um analysis and all these things, but at a say, at a certain point a marketer makes a choice too.
1: It's interesting that you put it that way. Um, but that's very much the case. Um, you know, when you're, I remember my design world, um, you know, in my early twenties when I, when I was fresh and young and wanted to to do design for the rest of my life, I remember at some point an art director asking me that same question, you know, are you, are you into marketing? Are you into creating? Cause those are two inherently different things. And at some point you have to choose one or the other because there's no real way to do both, um, and be successful at both. Um, you, but his his ultimate kernel of wisdom that stuck with me was if you create original content that's really interesting to you then it will it will be successful whether you like it or not and i think that that's an important point to 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 keep for for anyone out there who is creating content you know don't pander to an audience just create quality versions of what you like and the audience will find you
0: absolutely and and one of your notes here is about how it, it literally says john malkovich is an amazing weirdo and yeah Why? But we love John Malkovich. Those people who love John Malkovich love him because he's doing exactly what you're talking about. He makes the movies. He picks the roles that he wants to do. He's not pan. You know, people aren't telling him, "Oh, well, we we sure wish that you would play the president of the United States." He's not worried about that. He's worried about some weird, crazy role that he wants because he's a weirdo, and he's happy with that. And that's the way we like him too.
1: And it's funny that you say that, because I, I, I don't really think of John Malkovich when it comes to content creators, but, you know, he's he's very much his own content creator in the sense that when I see Malkovich's name attached to a movie, the, the chances of me watching that movie have exponentially increased, you know? Like, I think there's there's one out there, um, there's a movie called Rounders. Um, I was going to
0: bring it up, too.
1: <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Well you know it's it's basically Matt Damon's journey through the the underground CD cash game poker world, and John Malkovich is this this like this this honor driven old school successful poker player and he has this he has like one of the worst Russian accents I've ever heard in my life in that <laughs> movie. And and this this one line just sticks out to me is like pay this man he's Miani and like I'm like dude Malkovich what accent is that I, I don't even splash understand. the
0: pots whenever that f I <laughs> I want. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: it's so, like almost
0: uh, Swedish at certain points.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I don't understand. I don't have. I don't have. You but know? it's so f-
0: good though.
1: Oh yeah, it's amazing. Don't get me wrong. It's absolutely incredible. But you're right. Like it's 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 because he's such a strange guy and his projects are very much handpicked by him. So in a in a very in a very defined way, he is a content creator, even though he is he is the both the creator as well as the participant when it comes to the content itself.
0: Yeah, and I mean he's I mean, acting is creation. You have to create a character and you sure. have to embody that if you're a good actor. Um you have to embody that character you have to bring them to life and oftentimes you know a lot of people don't know but these actors are building backstories of these characters that you're never going to know anything about but they've mm-hmm. built it up especially if they're method actors sure um which i'm not, is i don't think Malkovich is a
1: method actor i don't know if he is
0: i feel like i would know that if he was um what have you been watching
1: um i went and i watched um uh, Civil War uh, Captain America uh, Civil War um, and I feel about Civil War like I think you might have felt about Age of Ultron from the Avengers um, in that it was probably one of the most fun movies I'd ever seen um, I absolutely loved that movie and I loved I loved it on many levels Um and I, I highly it it in my opinion thus far is the best Marvel movie um, in that collection. And that is saying something considering how much I liked some of the other movies. Wow. So that that one's definitely on my list of I mean, I thought Age of Ultron was pretty good, but Civil War just blows it out of the water. It is such a good movie. Um, and, you know, it's 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 a movie that is accessible by all ages but still has an air of seriousness that, that adults can, can really gravitate towards. Because I think for me, that's where The Force Awakens kind of falls short um, in that it's not really adult enough for me, for me to, to take it seriously versus um, a movie like Civil War, which dealt with some very interesting social issues um, on top of being a very fun action movie. And it also injected humor in parts that I didn't think were possible in a movie as serious as it was. So I actually really, really liked it.
0: I'm I'm chomping at the bit to see it, but I hate going to the theater.
1: <laughs> oh, I hear you. I had I had to go see it on a random Monday. I, there's no way I, I I steer clear of of movie theaters on opening weekend like Plague. So I didn't even attempt to see it on the the opening weekend. I waited uh, uh, at least four days later.
0: <laughs> but I did go to the theater recently. I, w- I went for Mother's Day because my mom wanted to go to see a movie. And the crazy, the weirdest thing happened to me while I'm in there. I have never experienced this before, and it, it's just a symptom of of modern times. I'm sitting it's a small theater that we went to, and I'm sitting in my seat, and may, there's like two I think two rows in front of me, and then there's that gap. you know there's always a gap of seats for the mm-hmm. walkway. There's the gap, and then there's people down there, and then two two rows in in front of that gap. there's this this woman, and she's watching television on her phone while we're waiting for the movie to start, Um, which is fine, you know, whatever. But it's kind of trippy, like mind-blowing, where I'm like, she's watching TV, waiting for a movie. But then I realize that she has it loud enough and the screen is big enough that I can watch too. (laughs) And she's watching Bones, which is a show I enjoy. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I realize that she's watching episodes from this current season, which I haven't started watching yet. And I realize that I am trapped in this seat and this woman is po- quite possibly about to ruin a season of a TV show for me because oh, man. I can't not hear it. And as much as I'm trying to listen to, you know, the people around me talk and stuff like that and not look at the screen, of course, that's what my brain wants to hear. My brain sure. wants to see. And <laughs> that is a weird, weird experience.
1: Wow, that's interesting. I never... Yeah, I guess that makes sense, though. I mean, I'm shocked that you didn't have headphones in. That's kind of odd. What movie did you end up going to see? What would you guys watch? Uh,
0: Mother's Day. That's that was what the movie was called.
1: Really? Yeah. <laughs> I, I had no idea that was even a movie.
0: Me neither. It wasn't mm. half bad, considering that I expected it to be 50 times worse. Um, it was kind of funny. I don't know. Nothing I want to talk about. But, what I do want to talk about comic book wise though is so you remember I complained about that Justice League cartoon mm-hmm. and how oh, I didn't complain, but I said it wasn't as good as um the Marvel Avengers cartoon mm-hmm. uh I have to eat a little bit of crow on that because the second season of that was pretty fantastic, like there was a few episodes of this Justice League cartoon that i was I had found myself looking up at the screen going whoa, this is, is this for kids? And and it just, it was very well written and very dramatic. And, yeah. and I was, there's, I'm I'm at a loss for words. It just kind of blew me away. And then because of that, I started watching the Flash TV show. And I don't know why. <laughs> I just think I just saw it and I clicked it and it's really good too. Like really good. Uh, I yeah. mean, I'm addicted to it
1: and yeah, I'm shocked. I actually really liked it too.
0: It's, it's something about it. Um, there's something about the vibe of it that reminds me of Buffy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, the quirkiness of the characters, the way the characters interact, um, you know, like where they have people from the arrow, which I haven't seen, but they have people from the arrow showing up in there on a regular basis. It feels very much like the Buffy angel thing. Sure. Um, but it's it's really well done and Tom Cavanaugh is fantastic. Uh yeah, yeah. It's it's I'm mean, I'm surprised to the point that between those two shows I've always been a Marvel person. Now all of a sudden I'm like I I feel like I need to read some DC comics because I'm now all of a sudden I'm fascinated by the whole you know the Flash and the Reverse Flash and all this stuff like I'm like I don't know what any of this stuff is. Now I want to read it. So I bought a I bought a Justice League trade book and I just mm. bought it today and I'm going to read it because now I'm fascinated by DC.
1: I actually thought Arrow was pretty good too. Um, if you haven't had a chance to watch it, I definitely, you're going to get much more of a Buffy vibe once you start watching Arrow as well. Um, it's actually pretty amusing to watch them back to back. So, you know, watching an episode of the flash and then going over and watching an episode of, uh, of um, um, Arrow, just because they do jump back and forth between each other's universes pretty often. It's pretty cool. It's, it's actually really interesting to see them do that.
0: What What network was Buffy on?
1: Um, was it on CW? I, I think it was whatever the CW was before the CW was the CW. Was it the WB?
0: Yeah, they're, they're, that's the same network.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I think it was on the WB. Um, so it's the same network, but it was before the CW changed its name.
0: I wonder if that's why they... I wonder if that's why they went for that vibe. They're like, this really worked. This formula, mm-hmm. and I, I, I don't think it was a bad choice. I was shocked. I, I thought it was going to be cheesy and ridiculous, but it's it's really well done. And I,
1: yeah, and I mean, I did, I didn't feel any real cheese at all. Like the characters seemed really believable. Like the the the, I, I think there's a lot of conflict within the character. Like especially with how the Flash kind of starts to develop his powers and use them. He doesn't know what the heck he's doing, and I really like that. Um, and I like how clumsy he is with his power. like I, I hate it when, you know, like one of my my biggest gripes on Man of Steel, um, that Superman movie, um, beyond the fact that Zack Snyder is I, I still I have my gripes about that, Zack Snyder. But that's beside the point. General Zod, who, um, you know, is the primary villain in in, in that first Man of Steel movie. Um, so it takes Clark Kent slash Superman slash Kal El his entire lifetime to adapt to using these powers because you know it, all of a sudden just imagine if you just woke up one morning and you could shoot laser beams out of your eyes you had X-ray vision you had unlimited strength the ability to fly um, and pretty much un, just limitless invulnerability like you could get hit by a truck and you'd be fine imagine if you just woke up one morning and you had those powers well that's what happens to Zod he essentially it shows up on on earth and all of a sudden he has these powers there's no way that you would you would not have a dramatic and horrible feel out period of those powers and all of a sudden he can use these powers that to me is just that, that's just blatantly irresponsible storytelling and i feel like the flash and and arrow well arrow doesn't have any special powers but the flash is a good example where he's just kind of a bumbling nerd and he's just trying to figure it all out and i think that's really for me that makes me identify with his character much much better and and believe that that he can exist within the universe and have to make all of these choices in order to become the superhero that we ultimately know that he will become you know i think the journey the journey itself is really interesting
0: yeah there's there's a a surprising amount of complexity. I don't want to, there's, there's, I think, you know, the characters that I'm talking about that are surprisingly complex that you're not sure how you feel about, but I don't want to say it here because it will ruin the show for people who haven't seen it. Sure. Um, but that complexity of like knowing that you're like, I don't like this person. Okay. Maybe I like this person in a way. It reminds me of game of Thrones, Mm -hmm. the way they have the ability to, take a character you hate, make you love them, and then make you hate them again, like Jamie Lannister.
1: Oh, I love Jamie Lannister still, though. I know a lot of people... You know why I I, I like Jamie Lannister? Because when I read the books, I could always kind of see where he was coming from, so I could get why he was a jerk. I mean, it doesn't justify why he's a jerk and why he's so callous and heartless sometimes, but I get where he's coming from, so I can't hate him. Um, I even kind of... I kind of like Cersei Lannister because she ultimately is just trying to protect her kids in a weird kind of way. You yeah, know? she's so.
0: one of those other dually complex characters where you're like, yeah, absolutely. I hate you, but I totally get you.
1: You know who I've always liked, though? Tyrion. Tyrion, Tyrion, Tyrion I've always liked. I mean, Tyrion's just awesome.
0: <laughs> I was just saying that to somebody, I think it was two weeks ago when I was watching the second episode of the season. The one character that they could kill off that would have me stop watching the show is Tyrion.
1: Yeah, I think that's me you were talking to.
0: <laughs> oh, it might have been. I might have said it to multiple people too. Uh, <laughs> I tend to repeat myself.
1: You know, you know, I, I just on a total side note, you are so fast at Trillo that I I can't even hope to keep up with you. <laughs> <laughs> You are shockingly quick at dragging things into the topics discuss column. Like the moment a word is halfway uttered, you've already dragged it. over.
0: (laughs) It's because I know that I'm saving us so much time on show notes later.
1: (laughs) It's it's so good. It's, it's amazing to watch it do that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm very curious to see because I, I ultimately think that Marvel has done such a good job of tying all of these things together and even planning their next phase into phase four and phase five and, and having all these shows on Netflix, you know, um, it's funny because we, we, think of, we think of all of these different phases of the Marvel Universe um, and how finite some of these conclusions may feel. But a lot of these are just preparing for things that are ultimately going to happen more in the future, which is interesting to me. Um, so I'm curious to see, you know, where the the, the defenders go, what happens with Daredevil, um, you know, where they go with Luke Cage and Iron Fist and everything. So I mean, it's 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 cool that that these other characters that we've known to grow and we've we've grown to love um, in the movies have have taken their arcs as far as they've gone. But I really do think that that because they have done such a great job at at creating such a complete universe that once these heroes have kind of had their time in the MCU that we're ultimately going to transition into an even cooler version of that moving forward. And I think that DC has done the opposite and done such a terrible job (laughs) at it that I, I, I find, I find myself not even halfway interested in, in a justice league movie. Um, and I and I I hate to say that because some of those characters are pretty beloved to me. You know, like the the only thing, the only bright spot for me now is the the DC sh- the DC shows um, on on the CW, like Arrow and and the Flash, and ultimately, strangely, the Batman, the the Ben Affleck the Ben Affleck Batmans that are coming out. Uh, beyond that, I don't even care. I don't care at all. I heard Gotham's pretty fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty cool, but it, there's. The problem is there's no tie-ins. the 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 universe isn't cohesive, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's there's no, you, like, for example, when I watched Civil War, the Civil War was basically an Avengers movie, um, but it was it was an Avengers movie with a much broader universe. Like they're introducing Black Panther, for example. They're expanding on Wanda Maximoff, so you know Scarlet Witch gets a lot more 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 time on screen, and 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 so. The universe is really cohesive, and there's there's a lot of avenues for people to plug in characters that make sense within that universe. The DC universe, despite having bright spots that are are are, are individually crafted um, among these various shows, they have absolutely no way of tying them together. And I think that that's blatantly it's it's just short sighted. Um, and I think that ultimately that's the reason why Marvel is just going to completely dominate the landscape when it comes to comic book movies
0: for a while. I think at a certain point, uh, anything that gets bloated and overrun at a certain point will just, who knows what will happen. And it's its completely possible that they've set themselves up to a point where it's going to feather out to where it might not even be manageable. Um, I just, I think that uh, I wish when I, you know, like you mentioned the Justice League movie and I'm like, I, I wish that they would have done exactly what you're talking about. Though, like, why not take, I don't know what the guy's name is who plays Flash on the TV show, but why wouldn't it be him? Sure. He, he's
1: great. Exactly. exactly, exactly.
0: And I know that they, it's all business on the back end and all of that stuff, but it would be cool. And I don't I don't know why it doesn't happen more often. Um, this whole Marvel thing is huge, but I've heard rumors that it's even going to get more, more immense.
1: Well, yeah, because I mean, the, the one guy controlling it all, uh, Kevin Feige, is is I mean, I, I think he's brilliant, and I think that there's it's it's very games of Game of Thronesy in a way, um, in the sense that um, as big as you think some of the storylines are in the very beginning, like season one, season two, you think things are pretty big, but it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and as much as it seems completely unmanageable and so monumental in scope, somehow the creative team holds it all together really well. You know, like for example, um, the next phase uh, in the the MCU. Is going to include Doctor Strange, um, who's going to have his own trilogy apparently. Um, Black Panther, who is shaping up to be a really, really interesting character and almost a Tony Stark replacement in a weird kind of way. Um, and so, and Guardians of the Galaxy, which apparently in in version or in part two is going to get way bigger in scope. Um, I think that they're pulling it off really well. Like I thought, I thought. Civil War would be a giant convoluted mess just because there's so many different characters. But I think that the thing that you just mentioned where, you know, they've kept the same characters going for so long in these movies that you know them so well. You know, there's not a lot of backstory that's necessary. There's not a lot of character development that's necessary because all of these characters have already been developed. You know who they are and you've become very familiar with their motivations. So the Marvel Universe, because of how it's built, has given the creators within the, the 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 creative teams the ability to to tell stories without having to tell a lot of backstories, and I think that that's really really interesting and very unique within the MCU. You know?
0: Yeah, but the rumor of the thing that's big that's happening is that Fox, Sony, and Marvel Entertainment are going to come oh, yeah, into, yeah. to a deal so that there will be crossovers between possibly the X Men and. The Avengers and Fantastic Four will be allowed in to play,
1: which would well, hopefully, hopefully that happens because Kevin Feige has done such a better job of of managing the the Avengers side of the the Marvel comic universe that it would just be amazing to see him take the reins of the X Men as well. I mean, the, I love Brad Singer as a director, but he's got a few duds in there. And I mean, I hear that that um, Age of Apocalypse, even though I haven't seen it, I hear it's a giant mess. So I, I would love to have Kevin Feige just take the reins of the entire MCU and control all of it.
0: Yeah, because I've, I've heard that a lot of the talks are discussed and Fantastic Four is the one that comes up because every time they've done the Fantastic Four, it's been a flop. And Fox is just not good with that property. And and I think they've come to a point where they realize that they thought the last one was going to be A-OK and it didn't do well at all. So, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens. It's definitely... It's definitely nothing anybody ever expected. (laughs) It's it's huge.
1: as As a comic book fan, it's kind of annoying, especially from the Fantastic Four perspective, because... Uh, you know, Reed Richards ultimately becomes a very important person in a lot of the storylines that the Avengers ultimately, um, you know, the, the Avengers are ultimately involved in. So it was really crappy to, to watch these bad versions of the Fantastic Four time after time after time. Like it's really disheartening to me as a comic book fan. So, you know, if, if they go into phase five or phase six and they start introducing the idea of secret wars, which is something that, that a storyline that runs in the comic books, Reed Richards and Dr. Doom actually end up playing huge parts in that, um, you know, even in the Infinity Gauntlet slash Infinity War, which is ultimately going to be the next Avengers chunk of the the movie franchise movie franchises, you know, Dr. Doom and. and and Reed Richards are in those two. So I'm very curious as to see how they're going to manage those storylines, leaving those pivotal, pivotal characters out of it. You know,
0: they've done it before. They've definitely done it before. I mean, there's always a way around it. That's, I mean, that's the thing that pisses off comic book fans, I think, but you know, who cares?
1: (laughs) And that's dumb. I, I agree with that. I think that's totally stupid. Like for, for me, I've been a comic book fan for most of my life and I, I know my comic books pretty well, but I also understand that when you're making movies and you're constructing storylines that are that are particular to the movies, they have to they have to be crafted differently because you don't have 180 issues of something to tell a backstory. Right. So. I don't care at all. And all of those people who hold on to these 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 ideas that characters are supposed to be true to a certain version of themselves. Like I mean, even if you look at a character like Iron Man or Captain America or Wolverine, even throughout their own publication histories, they've changed dramatically. Totally. So which so which version of Wolverine is it that you're holding on to that makes it so that the version in the movies is ludicrous? You know what I mean? That's just so asinine of an idea to me that I, I Anyone who says that kind of stuff to me is someone I instantly tune out.
0: <laughs> I mean, what's what's the point of taking a comic book or a book and interpreting it into another f- format, into another medium, if all you're going to do is make it exactly the same? Exactly. Why not just stick with the book? Be like, hey, you really like the comic book. Keep reading it. Like, why make the movie?
1: And, you know, to be honest with you, too, and this is – I don't care how many comic book fans this pisses off. but. A lot of comic books aren't good. You know, they have stints with writers that aren't great. Um, they have artists that aren't wonderful. So throughout the publication histories of a lot of these characters, they've taken some really crappy turns. Um, and so with the the Marvel comic universe, there there is a certain sense of responsibility that you have in crafting a character that's better because you literally only have two hours to do it. So to be honest with you, in almost every version that I've seen of a comic book character, like let's say Captain America, for example, Throughout his publication history, there have been some bright, shining moments in that character's development. And I think that they've been great. But if you took the, the, the summation of all of those, those various storylines and arcs and combined them, I still don't think they're as good as how they were crafted in the MCU. Um, the, the Marvel comic universe has created such a tight narrative for all of these characters That I don't think any comic book throughout its convoluted history could come even close to crafting a backstory, a present story, or a future story as good as the Marvel comic universe has.
0: And there's one thing that I would actually say uh, the opposite of as far as Batman goes. Uh, No, even though there have been some good Batman movies, none of them have touched how awesome Batman is in the comics.
1: Oh, that's true. That's definitely true. There's,
0: there, there's a, and that that's like an exact opposite in the sense like I'd never thought about that before. But there's such an amazing complexity to Batman that there there's no time to do it in a movie.
1: Sure, sure. not even. I, in think, a, I actually think Chris Nolan's version got pretty close though.
0: It's a little bit, yeah. I mean, there's just there's so much more though. Sure. That that relationship. With, I mean, you could make three movies of the relationship of him and the Joker, sure. and just. Barely begin to touch it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They captured a good good amount of the important stuff with the Heath Ledger Joker. Um, that relationship about, you know, like, I don't want to kill you because you're I need you. I think that maybe that's what pisses comic book fans off is because even though, yeah, we might go through a couple years of a, a crappy writer and a crappy artist or whatever, they still care because it's the trajectory of the character. Sure. I, I don't know. I don't think I know anybody that's a long-term, hardcore comic fan, at least that I've ever had a conversation with, in the sense that, like, I've been reading Captain America for 30 years, and I don't miss, you know, I don't miss an issue, and this is the trajectory. I don't know anybody that does that. Um, there are people that do that, for sure, and there's no doubt about that. My uncle was like that with Superman. And those are the, probably the people that are, that are getting pissed off. No, nah.
1: I mean I, I'm like that with the X-Men um, I you know I was an X-Men fan for a good 15-20 years and I will tell you that that I separate the two universes completely I understand and it might be because I have a writer's sensibility but I understand that stories can't be told the same way in different mediums you know so for me the the I separate the two you know like when I read the Harry Potter books and watch the movies for example I treat them as two completely different entities um, and also you know I've read the Game of Thrones books and, and I compare it to the show and it's it's it, it has similar plot points. I mean, sure, the, the, the story is kind of headed in the same direction, but it's a completely different medium. So you have to tell stories differently. Not only that, but in, 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 and, and, and the, the Game of Thrones books are huge books. They are huge. Um, and so, you know, there are characters that are left out and there are certain places that are left out of the show that are in the books. And I know that there are plenty of fans that complain about that kind of stuff, but it's just not physically possible to tell that story the same way.
0: And see, I haven't read all of the Game of Thrones books. I've only read the first one. Um, But in my very limited experience, I can tell you this, and people are going to be shocked to hear this. I think the show's better.
1: I agree with that, actually. It's more succinct. It's more tight. Um, The books are actually kind of convoluted um, at points, and there's a lot of fluff that at least I feel is unnecessary. You know, there are characters that get focused on in the books that are basically side characters that that suffer unceremonious deaths that have absolutely zero consequence to the ultimate plot and i think that the show did a a very good job of chopping out a lot of the fluff and just making a really tight story
0: yeah there's there's something about the flow of that book that i was like just certain things where it's like this you know in my head i'm thinking this scene is too long
1: yeah, they're all like that. Every single one, and it gets worse into the other books too. <laughs>
0: and some of the characters, like the way that they are in the books, I'm like, I I don't like this. Like Ned Stark, I don't like in the book. He's kind yeah. of a, he's kind of a dick. And Caitlin, I Caitlyn Stark, I hated in the book the way she treats Jon Snow and the way she thinks about him. Like I didn't like her as a character at all. And in the show, I loved both of them
1: yeah but i kind of I, I mean there's there's because he's the bastard son you know what i mean so I, I i actually kind of understood that when it came to caitlin in the books um you know she's he's a constant reminder of his of her husband cheating on her basically you know so so i guess from that perspective i get it um but yeah no i i hear you i mean i i i, I kind of tend to disagree on that one just because i do i do like the characters in the books a little bit more um or at least certain characters, like Ned Stark, for example. I didn't mind him that much just because, you know, in, in, in the books, he's a very principled guy, and in the show they touch on that a little bit, but not to the degree that they do in the books. Um, So you can kind of understand why some of his choices lead him to getting, well, I don't want to throw that spoiler out there, but lead him to his ultimate fate, you know what I mean?
0: Right. I don't know, maybe it, it just didn't click with me. I, sure. Just some of the yeah. characters, even like, Tyrion had a weird has a weird thing to him in the. He's not as charismatic in the books.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Actually, I like Tyrion. I I definitely like Tyrion's character, um, in the the show much much more. Peter Dinklage is amazing. That guy.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's. I just think he's one of those actors that is finally getting his due that he's deserved probably for far too long.
1: Sure, and he's and he his his version of Tyrion is is akin to me to, um, Alan Rickman's version of Snape. Um. In that, you know, it, he defines that character to me now. When I think of Tyrion Lannister, I cannot picture another human being in the world being that character. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's and amazing.
0: That's, that's that's a sign of good casting. Absolutely. Oh, uh, well, let's see. Well, we got a few minutes left. Anything you want to throw out?
1: Well, we haven't touched much on uh, what we're reading or what we're listening to. Um, and I think that... Both you and I should definitely talk about what we're listening to because that new Radiohead album is absolutely amazing. Oh,
0: I think I've listened to it like twenty times already.
1: Oh, easily, yeah. I mean, I I played around of golf earlier this week where I basically had headphones on and I listened to it pretty much four times in a row continuously.
0: And then, like we've we've talked about this before, where there were certain albums where I was like, "Meh," you know. Yeah. And, yeah. But and I was part of me, and I will be honest, part of me wasn't really like. Woo, awesome new Radiohead album coming out. Like I didn't really care because I kind of expected it to be another meh. Mm-hmm. And it's not to me. It's I think it's a a beautiful cohesive. It's 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 one of their best albums in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I think I personally think and this is me being a disturbingly huge Radiohead fan. Um I think it's their best album since The Bends. I actually find it better than OK Computer. Um in a in a weird kind of way um I, just because for me it has it, there's there's a weird narrative through line to the album and i don't think they've ever done that as well in any album um so yeah, it's it's unbelievable, and not only that, but they they redid one of my favorite songs, um, "True Love Waits," mm-hmm. and they did it with Tom York on a piano, and it's just it's just haunting, it's just unbelievably good. It's the version of the song that I've always wanted to hear, and because I'm a piano player, it's the version that I've tried to play on my own a few times. He just did a way better version of my version of his song.
0: Yeah, with the with the left hand carrying down the constant, but then the uh, right hand just doing nothing but chaos
1: yeah just absolute chaos it's unbelievable it's so good and yeah, and i I'm, I'm i'm actually very curious as to whether or not they're going to do the thing that you mentioned uh you know in our previous conversation about the album as to whether or not they're going to live up to that promise that they made uh at the end of ok computer
0: yeah i mean they've already made two videos so i mean it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to go ahead and do a video for all the other ones
1: and by the way they're both fantastic videos
0: <laughs> yeah i mean we've talked about the other the first one before but um the second one, I mean, it's Paul Thomas Anderson. And it's, it's such a simple concept of, Tom, York sure. walking through a door and showing up in another room, you know, another place, mm-hmm. in another stairwell. Yeah. And continuously, continuously, such a simple concept, but it's beautiful.
1: Yeah. And, but, you know, it's not just the concept, it's, it's the shockingly good execution, um, and the 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 almost stoic nature in which Tom York is is going from place to place that defines that video for me. And and it doesn't hurt that the song is absolutely incredible and goes very, very well with the video on top of that, even down to the very ending with that, that odd drone with Tom York's, you know, lateral face staring through a fire. I mean, there's just something just so haunting about that video from top to bottom.
0: Yeah, it's in- incredible. We def- we definitely have to put it in the show notes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um I I I kind of want to jump to something that's completely off topic, but I wanted to ask you about. Like what do you think about, you know, Spider-Man being rebooted yet again, um Ghostbusters being rebooted, it, it, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles being rebo- What is what are what are at what point is it going to stop and 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 we're going to come up with something original again, you know?
0: It's never going to stop. It's just going to get worse and worse. But I mean, I understand the spider went spider-man one i understand because sure. spider-man is going to be tied into the marvel universe now so they had to do it Yeah, um from mm-hmm. that perspective ghostbusters i can understand um i th- the the thing about the ghostbusters i would say that i actually think is cool is that it's all female obviously like miami vice was on for a very long time sure sure. sure. the simpsons um, I mean. but you look at like like an a team that was like only five seasons Wow, that's nothing. Crazy. I mean, it's like standard now that things go
1: at least like ten seasons. Sure, sure, sure. But the brilliant ones don't go that long, right? Like, I mean, if you look at the best ones, like Breaking Bad, Firefly. Uh, uh, yeah, Firefly. Well, Firefly is a different story though, because Firefly should have gone longer. Oh yeah, you know, I'm Firefly. Nobody tried to bring that back. Yeah, I mean, although that's probably happening. Nathan Finian's probably really young with, castle. Yeah, exactly. And on top of that, I mean, I'm sure. Um, Dude, what's... It? Joss Whedon is busy doing yeah. things Although like Avengers. Although now he's not doing Avengers ago. stuff,
0: he can finally start doing Joss Whedon stuff again.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. I mean, that's funny that you say that. Like, I mean, there are certain shows that... that, that the best shows that I I, I I love these days are the shows that have arcs that don't compromise those arcs. Like Breaking Bad's a good example of right. that. Um, uh, Battlestar Galactica, the, the new one, I thought I never was saw that very... One. Oh, you have to see it. It's I know. It's really, really good. On the queue, and then there's there are a couple out there. Like there's a show that I will take to my grave as one of the best shows made in the last thirty years, Hannibal. Everybody I haven't watched needs it. You told to me see about this. Hannibal. That that show is one of the most brilliant shows I've ever watched. Wow! Uh, from an aesthetic and and directorial perspective, it is one of the most well crafted, most character driven shows I've ever seen. It's it's just amazing. So if you haven't seen Hannibal, you need to see it. But here's the problem, because it was so weirdly cerebral in its in in its sensibilities. It's getting canned after its third season. And not because it's a bad show, but because people have a hard time watching it. So I have a feeling that it's gonna be like Veronica Mars in, in four Netflix years. Netflix will pick you it know? up. Yeah Netflix is gonna eventually pick it up because it's too good a show. Um, with such an amazing cast, isn't like, that a beautiful thing to know that there's yeah, a place to pick yeah, these exactly. things up now? Yeah, that
0: that Netflix is gonna go. All right, it's worth it. Imagine if they more. had that back in the day when Freaks and Geeks went off
1: the air. Sure, sure, sure. Because or even ex- we all
0: want to know what uh-huh. happened after that summer. Of course, anybody that watched that show, what happened to Lindsay? Mm-hmm. Uh, even your example of Firefly. Yeah, dude.
1: Like, I'm shocked that actually, hasn't been I, made I'm yet. bummed.
0: I watched that movie, and the movie kind of bummed me Serenity, out. Serenity,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It was not great. It didn't. It didn't go the way that I wanted it to mm-hmm. because it was less awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, it was attempting to tie together too many loose ends, and on top yeah. of that, trying to to close things out. Close things out, and that's that's a story. It's a Wild West story. You don't want your Wild West stories to end. You know, right. there's no sunset. There's just the, the continuing adventure. It's an adventure yeah, book. They just keep writing. Yeah, and that's and that's what was brilliant about Firefly when it was around is that every. Every every show had an essence to it that was that was continuous. Like it just felt like you were jumping into the middle of their lives. Right. You know what I mean? And there was no sense of beginning of a story or end of a story. And I They're love just that. these people. It's great. Like
0: one of my favorite things uh, a television show can do is to have a memory. Sure. Oh, I, love I that. hate when shows don't have memories. You know, sitcoms are different. Yeah. Because who really cares if, you know, the Golden Girls remember what they said the week before. Yes, I sure. love the Golden Girls. Um, but when you're watching Other things, that memory is of utmost importance. Talking about favorite television shows Mm -hmm. and one of the most brilliant shows that was ever made was one of the first shows I ever saw that had a memory was Homicide Life on the Street. Oh, yeah. David Simon, (laughs) Barry Levinson. Yeah. Brilliant show. The first episode. I I feel like I've been waiting decades to talk about this in a forum (laughs) where people will hear this. Good luck finding it. I don't think it's on iTunes. I bit tormented it. Um, <laughs> not back in the day, but now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the first episode, they have a rookie joining the Homicide Squad. And I think it's the second episode, he gets his first case. His first case is a murdered child.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the vernacular of all the cops is that you never forget your your, your first, first case, kid. Sure. Never forget your kid, first kid. First kid, yeah. It okay. haunts you. The next, I think they went eight seasons. The next seven seasons, mm-hmm. they never forget that case. Amazing, and not in a way like they bring it up all the time where it's where it's nuts. But you know, like season six, he could be talking to another cop and they, and the the girl that had died. Her name was Adina Watson. Mm-hmm. Somebody will make an offhand remark that. In, an, in a show without memory, you just write it off as an offhand remark. But mm-hmm. if you've been watching the show since the beginning, it's real. Yeah. Because sure. you know that. Sure. That actually references something real. You know, somebody gets a case that they can't get over and they go, is this your Dina Watson? Mm-hmm. Oh, and I it's just that. an offhand remark. Like they're, they're ribbing each other. Mm-hmm. And it's brilliant. And it's just, I mean, there's so many things in that show that were said. That actually changed me as a person. Just great dialogue. Mm-hmm. Another show that was brilliant with memory that's actually a sitcom, How I Met Your Mother. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God.
1: show is based on memory, though. So, at least um, in that context. The goat sense. thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Where it's like he's telling the story and there's a goat in the bathroom and then he gets to the end of the episode. He's like, oh, wait a minute. That wasn't that year. Mm-hmm. The goat wasn't there. But then when you get to that point that he's, t- he's telling a story that takes place in the future. Yeah. And when you get to that point in the show, mm-hmm. the thing that he mentioned actually, it actually happens. happens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even to where they they, they mentioned stuff about the wedding mm-hmm. in uh, about um, Lily and Marshall's wedding in mm-hmm. season one. Yeah, when they finally get there, mm-hmm. that actually happens. You, know, you know, it can... says you know at the beginning they say something they joke around about him becoming a judge. Mm-hmm. He's a judge by the yeah. end of the show. Yeah, it's like somebody actually wrote all that. Which is,
1: I feel like, as a writer, you should be doing Sure, sure, sure. Can you imagine a novel
0: that didn't do that? Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I mean, you you, you talk about that, but some of our other favorite shows... It's funny because you don't think that that sitcoms do that, but I think some of the best examples of that are in sitcoms. Um, Like Arrested Development. Jeez, I mean the how how elaborate those callbacks are how <laughs> complex the, i mean that that production crew and that writing staff is amazing to me i mean season four the one on netflix whatever i mean that one i could do without i, I it's for even, fans only yeah i couldn't even make it through the entire thing to be honest with you i thought there were bright moments in it but the show as a whole the first three seasons were magical in a way that i've never seen a show before there was there was so much of a memory in that show you know yeah. what i mean um, yeah it was shocking it's unbelievable and and a show that we both like quite a bit memory and not in a painful way um, True Detective the first season oh yeah I mean I don't like the last basically 20 minutes of that entire season yeah. but everything yeah, yeah. leading up to that McConaughey's performance it just brilliant the whole way through That I whole feel show. like if they had
0: squeezed Two or three more episodes before that yeah. finale. It felt rushed. Yeah, it would yeah, have yeah. been more solid.
1: Yeah, if it if they gave it just at, even just one more episode of breathing room, I think Which it is, would have been
0: great. I think I told you this last week off podcast, but that experience reminds me exactly of reading Anne Rice's Memnoch the Devil. Yeah, you did. You told me that. Yeah. Great book. I'm mm-hmm. um, actually, it's in my uh, queue to start reading this rereading this week. Memnoch. Mm-hmm. It's like 80, 80 maybe ninety percent of the book is just so good. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like and eh, done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like um, "Smell a Sense of Snow" by Peter Hogue mm-hmm. was another book that. Yeah, did I that. don't know that one. And I don't know that's uh, was made into a great movie with uh, Julie Orman. Mm-hmm. Um But I feel like that happens a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it's like okay, this is where, and I I know the the impetus. I don't. I'm going to ask you because I've been talking a lot. But um, for me, I feel. Sometimes when I'm writing like a short story, I know where I want it to get,
1: mm-hmm. and I have the temptation to just jump to that. Sure, but you know you can't. Well, it's funny because I look at um, lately I've been having this. Maybe it's because I'm 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 being introspective about my life these days and realizing um, how how much of a bastard I've been for a while. But I'm going back through and reading a lot of my Russian writers, um, like Dostoevsky. I loved. God, you're better, guy, he's tattooed on your chest, dude. He's yeah, exactly. Um, he, he's tattooed on my chest. Um, but he has, he him he's a good example. Klima Kafka Kundera the three Ks. Um, not the KKK, but whatever. Um, like you know, I, I went back and I read The Metamorphosis about uh, what five months ago. He was Austrian though, right? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, I don't remember. I I, don't, right I, right don't, right I think right he was Czech talking. actually. I believe he was Czech. Um, but. The one thing that I liked about some of those guys, um, like Kafka in particular, um, with *The Metamorphosis*, was I think that that the *Metamorphosis* started at the end. You We're know both what I mean? right, by the way. Oh, really?
0: Austria, Hungary, Hungary, Czechoslovakia. That's huh? what it says nice. under citizenship.
1: Uh so we missed we missed the uh, Hungary Aust- connection. Yeah, but, the Hungary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is nice. interesting. I mentioned Hungary earlier randomly. <laughs> I didn't mean to derail you, though. Yeah, but I mean, that's 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 what I mean, though, is that, like, a, it's funny because I think that, that the last short story I tried to write was about this, this you know, this princess that would lose her memory every morning um, when she woke up, and was, there was basically this, this, her guardian who was trying to get her from point A to point B. But the problem is, every single morning, she would wake up, and he would have to remind her of who she was, what they were doing, and why they were going there. Right. And I think that writing that story was my own subconscious way of disciplining myself um to write the damn story and not just jump to the end. You know right. what I mean? It's such a um, hard kill. it's so tough because you already know where you want it to go, yeah. you know? Imagine being imagine being um um uh what was her name that the chick that wrote the the, the Harry Potter series? What's her Oh name JK again? Rowling Be, imagine being JK Rowling and knowing the end because that's she said that in quite a few interviews is that she started with the last page. You know yeah. what I mean? She had written the last chapter of the book before she wrote any of the other seven books, and those are not short books, guys. Like these; these are eight hundred to one to thousand page long books. Right. You know Especially what I mean? that last one, right? Oh, uh, brutally long. So, I mean, that's that's a good example. Like how, how 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 as a writer do you discipline yourself to write seven more novels already knowing what the end's going to be? You know I feel I mean? like the worst
0: curse to an artist of any form, maybe any person in general, but. Is impatience sure, sure? Being an impatient artist is Ugh. equivalent to being a shitty artist. Yeah, sure. <laughs> because I, I feel like at least um, when it comes to drawing, mm-hmm. I'm very impatient with drawing. Yeah, I am not meticulous at all. Sure, I, and I think that that's to my detriment. I agree. Whereas with writing, I'm a little too patient.
1: Well, I think with writing. I think with certain mediums, I'm much more patient than others. Um, for some odd reason, when I write short stories or, or anything novel form, I'm really impatient. And I think it's just because it's more long form. Um, with my poetry, I will stare at a paragraph for four days. You right. know what I mean? So I, I really feel like the, the medium has its own mindset. Um, and it creates a certain expectation. And I think with poetry, for example, because I practice word conservation, um, in the sense that I want to try to say as, 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 As many things in as few words as possible right because of that there's a forced patience there and I think because I've been a poet as long as I've been a writer and I do draw the distinction between those two things by the way many poets are not good writers and many good writers are not good poets Um, there are some that transcend both but my point is that it, it was built into me at a very early age that I needed to practice word conservation with my poetry in novel form, I kind of forget about that. And what's funny is it's it's the illusion of choice, uh, which is the more options I have, the more crippling it is. Um, and I think with a novel, that's where it really kills me is that I I just have too many damn options. You know what I mean? Like, I can't just narrow it down to three stanzas or five words or one word even in poetry sometimes. You know what I mean? So I think the stop.
0: hardest thing I ever learned about writing a novel was, not that I've completed one. Um, yeah, we're still is, working on Charlie. It's <laughs> the, uh, the up and down... Mm-hmm. The up and down dynamics that are required to sustain a novel. A short story, I say this often, a short story is an arrow. Yeah. You go from the start to the end. You know, there's a little bit of up and down, but there's not the same wave movement. Sure. A novel, you really have to bring people up and bring them down and bring them up. Because otherwise, if it's just an arrow, Mm -hmm. it's a really Mm -hmm. long, boring arrow.
1: And nobody likes a boring arrow. The only exception to that rule that I can think of in my head is Anne Rind. We talked about Anne Rind last week. The Fountainhead was a freaking arrow, and I haven't read it. Yeah, and and to be honest with you, if I if it wasn't what it was, I don't think I would have made my way through it. I read it when I was eighteen. I don't think I could really read it um, fresh now and like it. You know what I mean? Like I've I've reread it since, but I there's a sense of nostalgia that keeps me wanting to turn the page versus it just being a good book. Right. You know what I mean? Um, because it's it's a brutally like Arrow-like book in that sense. You know what I mean? Something
0: like that. Right? And
1: I just get the sense that that, that 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 if I read it now, I would probably think something similar. You know, because there's, there's when you're young, you need it. You know what I mean? It's like hearing the Sex Pistols when you're 17. You right. know, like, you get it. You're like, yeah, piss and vinegar. You know, and then when you you listen to them at 35 and you've never heard them before, you're like, oh, these guys are terrible. Right. What the hell are they talking about? Why why are their guitars all out of tune? You why know What? I mean? what? the bathroom because that's actual duty Uh, Ah, using plans i don't like it sorry (laughs) (laughs) you know you know in in a weird kind of way a lot of the things that we've talked about tonight um seemingly unrelated but kind of related um is that there's a certain sense of of self-importance that we just have to remove from all of this
0: right that's the that's the biggest lie that social media has sold us yeah um that we 're more important than we are in a specific way um, i don 't i do 't know how to say that clear do you, do you get what i 'm saying there and maybe able to explain I, it?
1: I get what you mean um, and i 've definitely fallen into that trap, especially given that I was you know a photographer um, so my pictures i I was having this this conversation with our friend Brittany at some point, uh, Brittany Bowen, the photographer, um, where she we, we talked about how because we're photographers, there's a certain expectation of quality that comes from our photos. Um, and I definitely had a sense of, of, of importance that came from those photos at some point. Like, you know, I had to appear a certain level of cool. And so that created almost an alter ego for me that, that had its own, its own built-in importance um, that was separate from my person. Um, and that was a very weird thing to reconcile when I finally realized that it was happening.
0: That's a that's a perfect way to say it. It's it's um, it places an importance on image, sure, which is a pun as well, since you're talking about photos. <laughs> um, I figured I at least had to, that one back at you, um, but what is important is actually the part of self-importance is actually important is how we show up in other people's lives um and i don't mean on phones in their actual lives you know how we hang out with somebody how we're there for them when they need us how this little guy i have to take to the bathroom needs me and loves me that's an importance but it's not an importance that can inflate my ego it's a it's a humbling importance and i think yeah. we're all lacking that
1: i feel like that's such a big difference. And I feel like that's why it's different I did the humbling importance versus the the bolstering importance that false sense of 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 flattery almost i mean it's it's strange to describe it because i'm not exactly sure I, I'm not exactly sure how to describe it in a way that makes sense. I know exactly what you mean though you know it's it's this inflated self importance it's almost a facade um, that you create that you now have to live up to
0: and it's it's an imbalance too right because um The importance of image is a one-way importance. I am important to these people, but they're not important to you. Not in that dynamic, unless they do what you're doing. You know, like you're earning importance, right? Because I make these images and I put out these words, I am important to these people but they're not important to me except when they do the same thing when they put out their crafted images then they earn my interest in them whereas in real life when you know like he needs me but i need him the dog you know there's a a a, a balance a mutualness to real life importance you know yeah. a child can't uh, you have a broken relationship if the child needs the parent, but the parent doesn't need the child. Sure. Or the friend, one friend needs the the other friend, but it doesn't go back. Then that's not a good, that's not a real friendship.
1: Oh man, I've been struggling with that lately. That's a whole other can of worms that we can dive into.
0: Well, we do have time.
1: Yeah. I'm not even, it's, it's hard to, to, to dive into that part of the conversation because of, how close these people are to us (laughs) (laughs) well you don't have to use names yeah but i don't think people want to know names anyways yeah that's true it the weirdest part is for those facade versions of you to become friends because that doesn't necessarily mean that you will be friends with that person in real life
0: Say that in different words. I'm not sure I got what you meant when you said... Okay, this
1: okay so, 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 you, so you know this, the, this image version we create for ourselves in social media, right? Yeah, we'll call um, it Cool Lamb. So we'll say Cool Lamb, right? And let's say a fictitious name. I'm going to use Stephanie. Let's say there's a Cool Stephanie, all right? And Cool Lamb and Cool Stephanie are friends on social media because we make each other more cool. And right. then we meet each other in real life And we don't get along quite as well as our cool selves want us to.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because your friendship between cool lamb and between cool Stephanie is a friendship in quotation marks.
1: How strange that reconciliation is in your brain cannot be described unless you've had to go through it. And going
0: back to what you said before, before current social media, I, I can't think of an example right now. I'm sure there's somebody from current social media where this has happened. But one of my longest and closest friends is somebody I met on MySpace. Hmm. My, I think you've met her, my friend Stacy. Oh, yeah, sure. We met on Facebook. I mean, uh, MySpace. <laughs> That's funny. But that, I mean, maybe that goes back to what I was saying about Myspace was closer to true interaction. And I'm not saying people don't meet people on Facebook or whatever and become real friends in real life. I'm just saying I don't know that I have necessarily. Hmm. At least not that I can think of now. If, if you're listening, the person that, <laughs> that became my friend in real life through current social media, and I'm not thinking of you right now, sorry. Once again, it's
1: live for me do you have an example of how that didn't work out you mean where
0: uh i met somebody and i didn't
1: like them where where the cool yous met and it just didn't it it didn't pan out the way either of you thought it would
0: um yeah lots of times mostly with women
1: okay then i'm glad i'm not the only one because i i i felt strange thinking that Other people didn't have that experience, but I assumed that other people did. You're just giving me confirmation of that.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, there's been definitely a bunch of... Or um, there's also the awkwardness of like, oh, we know each other. No, no, we don't. What do do we talk about?
1: (laughs) Yeah, or that super weird experience of having someone come up and, and talk to you about your posts. Um, I still, know I'm, them. I'm, I'm still super weirded out by that. Yeah. People come up with oh, us like, Oh yeah, I saw you. And what's, what's her face's Instagram or, or even weirder is they'll walk up to you and say, Hey, how was that one event that yeah. whatever artist or what concert you went to or whatever, I'm like, I don't even know your name. I have no idea who you are.
0: <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that made me stop wanting to post anything personal anymore. Um, not because I had any creepy or any bad things. Um, and I'm sure you're not saying that that was like a stalker type thing or anything no, like that.
1: No, not at all, yeah.
0: It is just weird when confronted with the reality of what you're posting. Um, I mean, I've had through the through the many, many things that I've, I've done online over the years, I've had people who have followed many things and there's an insinuated intimacy to that relationship that's not real. Um, it doesn't mean that the person's not a good person or, you know, any of those things, but there's an insinuated instant in, intimacy, especially, um, when I was putting out a lot of writing or like when I was vlogging was actually as a perfect example, I was literally showing you what seemed like my day, you know, of course it's edited and, uh, you're not seeing my whole day. There was an, an insinuated level of intimacy there that when you actually confront it in reality is actually really uncomfortable. Um, you know, like people start to feel a certain, i try trying not to say this in a mean way because I don't mean this in a mean way, but some of the words sound mean people seem to think that they have a right to certain things about you. Hmm. Um. And I'm sure that people that are like famous have this problem all the time. Um, They just maybe don't see it as easily because they have so many people following them and messaging them. But you do something um, creatively or you do something maybe, you know, it's just like I went to get tacos from this place. And people assume that they have a right to tell you what you should and shouldn't do the way that a friend would. But... In reality, they're still just a stranger to you. Does that make sense? Am I am I explaining that right?
1: Yeah, no, totally, totally. Um, and I feel like I feel like people will, if they listen carefully, they'll understand what you're talking about. Because I think anyone who has any social media account that has spent any reasonable amount of time on it has had that experience.
0: And it's it's not anything against the people doing it because these things make it feel intimate. You know they, they fake an intimacy. Um, but when you're the person putting stuff out and you're getting that back, there's a certain line where you go, "Whoa, whoa!" Sure, <laughs> you know, like and because I think that, um, like, people with the vlog, the vlogs is a perfect example. People watching the vlog feel closer to me than I feel to them, because I'm not watching their day; they're watching mine, right? So all I'm getting from them is a sentence or two. What they're getting from me is hours and hours of video of my life. So they feel closer to me, but to me, they're still just little names and avatars. You know, I, I, I become familiar and friendly with those. studies have shown that people who check their messages less frequently are number one less stressed, but also more productive, because when they actually sit down to check the messages, they deal with all of them,
1: instead of putting them off or leaving them sitting in the inbox. Sure. But I also have to change how, how people I, I I work with use email too. I think that's the other problem. Um Right. Because you know,
0: you're at their beck and call.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and not only that, but like from from my perspective, I want to be able to set it up so that